Welcome to the Heavy with Andrew and Dawn, where we cover a wide range of rock and metal topics. For the casual listener, I'm your host, Don Sutherland, and with me as always is my brother and metalhead, Andrew Sutherland. What's up, dirtbags? All right, Andrew, what are we talking about? Today we are going to be talking about the unholy trinity of heavy metal. Going old school. All right, let's get into it. seltzer a strawberry seltzer you really shouldn't have admitted that it's four percent alcohol <laughs> so it's less than a beer <laughs> going healthy well i'm All drinking right. a Michelob ultra so it's also four <laughs> percent <laughs> we're both going really really lame today i, I think All we right. just turned off like half our listeners <laughs> all right so the, the holy trinity of heavy metal what is that well, the Holy Trinity of Heavy Metal, it's, it's, it's kind of a, uh, just a nickname. It was given to three bands who probably everyone's heard of. So Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, and Deep Purple. So these okay. are considered classic rock bands. Uh, but I, I'm going to talk about them in the context of how they helped start the, like, the genesis of, of heavy metal, the, the sounds. Deep, stuff. Deep Purple is the surprise in there for me, personally. Yeah, I, I mean, as a, as a metal fan, it's not as much of a surprise, because uh, Deep Purple's fairly well known to be so one of the. Dig at me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're smart, it's not a surprise, Don. Deep, Deep Purple's considered more of a. I mean, Zeppelin and Purple are considered more classic rock than metal. Yeah. This is more in the context of, of helping uh, pioneer the genre, not necessarily being considered heavy metal bands. So, we'll do a, a brief history of. Of heavy metal and there's a lot of disputed facts and, and and opinions and stuff when it comes to this kind of thing but uh there were there was uh, several other bands around this time that were also credited helping pioneers genre so we'll concentrate on like these three mid mid to late 60s then so we're gonna go from probably about 1969 1970 i'm gonna concentrate on three albums specifically just to keep this fairly short because there's there's a, there's a lot of history here with these three bands obviously right uh, but I'm going to concentrate on Led Zeppelin's first album, Black Sabbath's first album, both are self-titled, and Deep Purple's first album with their Mark II lineup. It's called In Rock. So Okay, so it's not their first album as a band, but first album with the best lineup or the most famous lineup? Mark II would be considered, I believe, their, their most commercial, commercially successful lineup. So that would be the, okay. the lineup they, they did, uh, Smoke on the Water and Highway Star and all that. But that's a that's a later album. So t- today is just to talk about specifically about those three albums and how they help pioneer the the sound and, and the the genre of heavy metal. So okay. a, a quick overview of the history of heavy metal, which is another thing that we can get into again more more in depth later. Uh, a lot of the sounds that these bands were were coming out with at the time were heavily influenced by American blues. So they were taking the riffs from American blues and making them faster, louder, and with more guitar distortion. So um, artists such as uh, Robert Johnson, Pat Hare, uh, Howlin' Wolf, they introduced some different guitar styles. And and a lot of it's not just to do with the guitar style, but also the the dark emotion. Yeah, the the, the culture behind it. Yeah, uh, just the the subject matter in the music and the lyrics and stuff. Uh, Another maybe surprising type of music that influenced this a little bit was uh, surf rock of the early 1960s because they were starting to use more distortion on their guitars and f- a faster pick guitar style. So say a song called uh, Miserloo by Dick Dale. It's a song you'll hear in uh, the Quentin Tarantino movies. If, if you heard it right away, you'd know what it was. 
So I, I, I wasn't sure what you were saying, and then he said Quentin Tarantino. That's the one that's really fast, right? Yeah, yeah. You, you, uh, most people who've watched a Quentin Tarantino movie would hear that yeah. song. They might not know who did it and who, what it was called, but they'd know that song right away. <laughs> So this faster tempos and heavier distortion of the uh, psychedelic and blues-based rock mid-60s uh, started to work their way towards what we're going to talk about today. So The Who, for example, the song I Can See for Miles, The Beatles, Helter Skelter, uh, Cream, Tales of Brave Ulysses, a band called Blue Cheer. They did a cover of Summertime Blues, which was pretty heavy for the time. And then, of course, Steppenwolf, Born to be Wild, and Iron Butterfly, Inigata Devita. So these bands were part of that transition to start forming what would become heavy metal, even though none of these bands at the time would have been called that because heavy metal wasn't considered a genre at the time. It was still, uh, this is more of a history of it. Yeah, still and developing. Yeah. So also the, the use of uh, drop tune guitars and five and six string basses was also had something to do with this. And uh, keep in mind throughout this podcast that I'm not a musician. So all of my, <laughs> all of my like technical information regarding the instruments and, and the technical parts of the music is is secondhand so and I, and I guess i i am kind of a musician but not good enough to comment on all this so like i almost want to say things but i feel like i should just <laughs> probably not but but what i'm getting what i'm gathering from the bigger introduction of of basses and distortion is like it's a deeper sound basically yeah basically he- heavier faster uh and although we listen yeah. to it now and we consider it classic rock at the time, it was it was pretty heavy, right? So I'm I'm just going to go in the order that I introduced them in. So we'll start with Led Zeppelin. So we're we're specifically talking about the album Led Zeppelin One. So okay. most mo- people are familiar with Led Zeppelin, you know, like Stairway to Heaven and stuff. So Led Zeppelin One. So the band made up of Jimmy Page, Robert Plant, John Bonham, and John Paul Jones. So Led Zeppelin One, honestly, is is pretty much a blues album if you listen to it. So th- there are some flashes of a heavy direction that the band would uh, would take into Led Zeppelin 2, Led Zeppelin 3, and so on. So Led Zeppelin actually started out as the new Yardbirds because Jimmy Page ended up joining the Yardbirds and uh, the other members had quit, but they had some shows to finish off in uh, some San- Scandinavian shows. Right. So the, uh, the actual Led Zeppelin lineup played as the Yardbirds to fulfill those obligations. And they ended up rehearsing material as the Yardbirds, it was actually on a, an old timesheet that Jimmy Page had kept, and it said the Yardbirds, but they were uh, they were uh, but it was recording. The Led they were rehearsing, yeah. Well, they were rehearsing songs for Led Zeppelin One. Huh. So they, but they were using the name the New Yardbirds, which they later phased out as they were releasing the album to Led Zeppelin. And uh, oddly enough, one of the names that they were thinking of when they were trying to come up with a band name was the Whoopee Cushions, which is like, can you imagine huh. if Led Zeppelin was called the Whoopee Cushions? <laughs> <laughs> that's so much less cool than than Led Zeppelin. I'm so glad that they went with Led Zeppelin. <laughs> so, and the uh, the name Led Zeppelin came from reportedly. There's a, there's a couple of different uh, recounts of this, but uh, apparently it came from Keith Moon from the Who, the drummer from the Who. Oh, and wow. uh, I guess Jimmy Page had put together trying to put together a project, uh, some kind of supergroup with keith moon jeff beck and john entwistle and i guess the, the type of music they were going to play was some kind of like a heavy blues or something and keith moon had commented that the type of music would go over like a like a lead balloon and so they wanted to just they, <laughs> they, like they, 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 yeah pr- pretty much yeah it was like that it would just bomb right basically so they just took that and made it like the biggest balloon possible 
Zeppelin. And uh, they took that name. And uh, the album cover on Led Zeppelin 1 is actually a photo. Uh, it was designed from the actual photo of the Hindenburg disaster in New Jersey in 1937. Oh, they just, they just took a, a horrible event and put it on there. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, how rock and roll is that, right? <laughs> so the, uh, the album ended up making it to number 10 on the Billboard 200. Wow. Uh, so I consider this not, it's not really a true heavy metal album, but the heavy blues style that they, they used, at least in some of the songs, had a huge influence on the emergence of hard rock and metal in, in the years to come. Right, so, yeah, very, very pioneering. Yeah, exactly. And so really, uh, you look at the, the styles of all the individual musicians from Led Zeppelin and Jimmy Page's guitar style, like uh, heavy blues influence, and he really used the, ever heard of Light and Shade? It's a, it's a, no, I'm not. Uh, so light and shade is like a, they, they use, it's using softer acoustic elements and then transitioning to like aggressive riffs. Oh, it's not yeah. a band. So it's okay. going from like, it's going from like, like a lighter sound to like a heavier sound in, within a song. Okay. So in that first album, the song, babe, I'm going to leave you. It's the second song on Led Zeppelin one. Yeah. And, I, I'm and, the song at least. Yeah. Yeah. And you can really, it's really evident in that song, that style okay, so of light and so shade. It's a songwriting technique. Yeah, it, it's it's a transition from from like the light acoustic style to to like a, a heavier riff. And okay. it, it, like personally, I I love that. I, and a lot of my favorite songs use that technique to this day. Yeah, right, so. off, right off the top of my head, because uh, like that's a song I've listened to a lot in yeah. the last couple months, actually. Uh, and right away, I can think of an example: Master of Puppets, even because they have battery, that, battery, right? Yeah, yeah, battery. Album, is, well, I guess a lot of the songs do that because they have the the clean or acoustic parts that move into the, the heavier parts. Yeah. So this is, you know, way before that. And like, obviously yeah. this influenced a lot of bands in the future. Yeah. Okay. So, so moving on to, uh, to John Bonham, who was pretty much the backbone to the band's powerful sound. So one of the things that he used to use is called a, a triplet. So if you listen to the first song on the album, good times, bad times, you can hear his bass drum hit like three times quick. Mm-hmm. So instead of like just a single, like hitting the bass drum, you know, in in rhythm with the song, uh, you can hear him hit it like three times real quick. It almost sounds like a double bass, but it's not. But it's it's just something that he did that no one else was really doing at the time, at least not in in rock music. Yeah, because it would be it would be whatever like thirty years before people started like in heavy metal were doing the double kickers and getting those those fast bass drums out. Yeah, and and another thing Bonham would do is he would follow the lead guitar and follow the guitar riff instead of uh, the bass as the rhythm section normally would do. Mm-hmm. So it really made their sound unique uh, compared to other bands at the time. Uh, so the singer, Robert Plant, he had a wide vocal range and had a pretty distinct agonizing kind of wail, but it, it is lower singing at the lower pitch or whatever. It would It really went along with the blues stuff. So like he could really sing the slower blues stuff and then the high pitched like rock stuff. He transitioned pretty seamlessly. Uh, within like a song, he fit, he fit all the styles of the band. Yeah, yeah, and and really distinct voice too, right? Like just the way he could just scream, you know. It, oh it, yeah, it that that's another thing. Like I think anybody could pick out Robert Plant's voice. Yeah, and and, and besides his voice, he also had this this persona, right? This on stage presence and this persona, mm-hmm. like he remember that that Golden God thing, you know? He's just he was like just that guy, right? He was that preening prima donna womanizer. Like he just had all that. He was like the the prototypical rock star yeah, kind of guy, right? The whole identity. 
Yeah, and, and rounding out the band was uh, John Paul Jones, the bassist, who was an accomplished multi-instrumentalist and a session musician. And that's how Jimmy Page and him knew each other was from doing session work before, oh, okay. uh, before the band. Session, yeah. session musician. Yeah, yeah. that's th- this is kind of a rare case where, like, I don't know if any of these guys kind of fell through the cracks at all. They're they're all kind of legendary musicians, almost yeah. equal to each other. Yeah, which is uh, not always the case, right? Yeah. So we'll, we'll move on to Black Sabbath. All right. So and and all this stuff is is specifically geared towards the actual the album we're talking about. So in case of Black Sabbath, it's also their first album, also self titled. Okay. So the original lineup of Black Sabbath is uh, Tony Iommi on guitar, Ozzy Osbourne, vocalist, uh, Bill Ward was the drummer, and Geezer Butler was the bassist. So right. uh, out of these three albums, probably Black Sabbath would be the most heavy metal album, I, I say, style-wise. And, and you know, a, a lot of metalheads would agree with that, that the Black Sabbath really started heavy metal, you know, not just a, as a an influence, but actually playing heavy metal music. So their self-titled album really established a lot of the dark imagery and, and the sounds that would come to typify heavy metal music, like the yeah, satanic well, right, themes and stuff. Right away from their from their name, even. Yeah, like, oh for sure. Immediately with that with that sort of, uh, I was gonna call it anti-Christian. I don't know if that would be the term for it, but it's like it's got that that sort of like devil vibe to it. Yeah, and I mean the guys in the band weren't. It's not like they were Satanists or anything like that. Like, I mean. Tony Iommi's pretty well known. He's a Christian, right? Like, and most of them are. They, but they, they just that subject matter just really just created this dark, this mystique or whatever, this like dark imagery, you know, that, that really typified their music. So the album, I, I guess, it, when it was first released, it was pretty. It was trashed by the the press, and initially anyway, but it did make it to the number twenty three on the Billboard two hundred. So wow. Black Sabbath actually started out. In, uh, they started out in Birmingham, but they actually started out as a band called Earth Blues Company, which they end up shortening into Earth, and they're actually a blues band. It's it's no it's no whoopee cushion, but it's still not an amazing name. Yeah, it's definitely no Black Sabbath, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, exactly. It's like, yeah. You don't really see you don't, you don't hear Earth and think like heavy metal, right? You think yeah, like hippie nineteen sixties like psychedelics or something like that. Yeah, exactly. But uh, they found out that another band had the same name. So they uh, they ended up changing it to Black Sabbath, and they got that name from a, a Boris Karloff movie from like 1935. Oh, in true heavy metal fashion, uh, off yeah. of a horror movie guy. And the uh, the theme for the track, so they got the name from the movie, but the theme from the title track actually came from an experience that Geezer Butler had. He said he uh, he had woken up from like a really bad nightmare, and there was a black form standing at the end of his bed, staring at him. So if you listen to the lyrics of the song, you can hear that. <laughs> experience written in there and uh so i guess ozzy had brought some uh, 15th century book about witchcraft earlier that day it was written in latin and had a bunch of like satanic imagery in it jeez so that was the day that he ended up having that nightmare that night so maybe it was influenced by that gave him uh, a little bit of sleep paralysis i guess yeah i guess jeez so um or that, was yeah. just, that was just ozzy sneaking into his room it, it, who knows man <laughs> I don't know. He never admitted to it anyway. But uh, <laughs> And then according to Tony Iommi, that's when it all started to happen. Uh, the name sounded mysterious. It gave people something to think about, and it gave us a direction to follow. And that's quoted from Tony Iommi, but the whole oh. Black Sabbath thing. And inside the original album release, it was it had a gatefold sleeve in it, and there was actually an inverted cross with a poem that had some like super dark imagery. 
uh, and it really showed Sabbath's early influence on the, the evil, bleak kind of themes and metal music later on. But the uh, the gatefold actually wasn't in the U.S. release. But uh, oh, a little too conservative to print something like that, or was that just kind of? Uh, yeah, I'm not really sure the reason. Maybe maybe they thought that it wouldn't go over so well with yeah. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised to learn that Christian it was, culture in the U.S. kind of thing, right? But, yeah, especially in the in the '60s there. Yeah, but it's if if you if you read the poem, I've got a couple of lines from it. There's like. Still falls the rain, the veils of darkness shroud the blackened trees, which contorted by some unseen violence shed their tired leaves and bend their bows towards a great earth of severed bird wings. <laughs> That's just the first. Like it's, and it's like pretty long and it's all that kind of crap. It's really messed up. So is it Ozzy Osbourne wrote this or this was in the... No, it's it's an unknown poet. It doesn't say who oh. it's written by. Oh, it's even spookier. Yeah. Wow. So it's getting towards the, the, the sound of the album. And uh, a lot of people know the story about Iomi's... Uh, fingers so but his severed fingertips played a big role in their sound so he went to his last shift he was working at a, a steel mill and he uh, ended up cutting off the tips of two of his fingers on a sheet metal shear just before the band was about to tour and he wasn't even going to go to work that day he went home for lunch and told his mom he didn't want to go back to work and she made him go and ended up cutting his fingers off <laughs> but uh obviously like a blessing in disguise um, so I only ended up making some false fingertips originally from melted plastic bottle tops covered with leather. But he, oh, yeah, uh, a natural reaction for sure. Yeah, yeah well, because he still wanted to play, right? But, but he found he found it hurt to play with them, the, the regular style. So it forced him to tune down his guitar, which ended up creating a thicker, heavier sound and subsequently oh. created, it created a different playing style that would end up continuing and defining a lot of the metal sound later on. So I, according to Iomi, a quote from Iomi, before the accident, I could play the normal way using full chords and everything. But after the accident, I had to think and play differently. I came up with these fatter chords that I could play with less fingers. So that... that so you invented the you, power chord, basically? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's just by chance, he ended up creating this this unique sound that really helped typify a lot of the metal later on, a lot of the styles that would come out of that. So moving on to the... The singer, so Ozzy, although not the most technically gifted singer, has a very distinctive voice, and you know he had yeah, a, a wild and enter, wild and entertaining stage presence, and he helped contribute some of the dark themes to their lyrics as well. So uh, Geezer Butler, the band's bassist, and he wrote a lot of the lyrics, dabbled a bit in the occult previously, so he had that had some influence on a lot of the themes too. Oh, wow. yeah. So a, another little funny story. So the the, the song NIB. Uh, even though it's commonly known as Nativity in Black now, originally it came from Ozzy's description of Bill Ward's beard. He told Bill Ward that his uh, beard looked like a pen nib. Then they're 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 going to name oh, a new what? song and what? a pen nib, it's a pen. <laughs> like, like, oh, the, like the end yeah. of a pen, right? Oh, okay. That's not a term for something more interesting. Okay. So so then they, they were going to. This is according to Bill Ward. They're going to name the new song, and Ozzy said to call it NIB. And then, according to Bill Ward, somebody put three dots on it, and then everybody just started calling it Nativity in Black. <laughs> so, kind of, kind of interesting. Like when, when you listen to the song now, and you think it was originally named yeah. after a guy's beard looking like a pen nib, it's pretty funny. Like, it started out as a really underwhelming insult. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So uh, now moving on, we're gonna go to Deep Purple now. Okay. So Deep Purple had already been around for a while, but in their previous form, they consider they're, they're commonly called uh, Deep Purple Mark One. Was the original band lineup, so they put out a couple albums. Uh, so they actually put out three studio albums before that as Deep Purple Mark One. So In Rock would be their fourth studio album, 
but the first album with the lineup that was considered Mark II, uh, commonly. Okay. So they changed out the vocalist. So they, they, they hired Ian Gillen and, uh, as a vocalist and bassist Roger Glover. And then they joined uh, John Lord, the keyboardist, uh, drummer Ian Pace, and guitarist Richie Blackmore, who were from the original lineup. Okay. So, so yeah, I guess, uh, so bassist Roger Glover from Deep Purple had decided he wanted to be in a heavy band after hearing Led Zeppelin. So there's some influence there. Okay. Uh, wh- one thing that you'll notice about Deep Purple in, in rock, right off from the first song, is uh, the keyboards really stand out. So there's, there's actually a lot yeah. of keyboard fills. I don't know if you call them solos, but you know, there's like guitar solo fills. And there's there's sometimes there'll be a guitar solo, and then there'll be another fill later with the, just the keyboard. It sounds like a, like an organ, so okay. it's, it's a bit of a different sound. And personally, to me, sometimes it's a little bit too much. But really, when you listen to it, uh, the the guitar really starts to show through a lot of it. So uh, the, yeah, the, and and in that time when they're still kind of figuring out that that kind of sound too. Yeah, like that yeah, can be forgiven for trying things that are kind of weird. Yeah, I mean, you have to remember they're coming out of the 60s, and yeah, exactly. Deep Purple's for, uh, three albums before that were, were much different, like closer to psychedelic rock, 60s rock than what they were moving into with the heavier stuff. Right. And, and really, the, the, the keyboard was the trademark of their sound, too. So whereas Zeppelin and Sabbath didn't have that, it, it kind of made them, made them stand out a bit and have their own sort of unique sound, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so Richie Blackmore, I'm not going to talk as much technically about him as a guitarist but he's widely known to be one of the best rock guitarists of all time yeah i so. mean like like right right off the bat you've created one of the uh one of the most memorable riffs of all time so that alone yeah, obviously sure. smoke in the water or smoke Which, on the water is what I'm talking obviously about. we'll we'll do another episode on deep purple's later stuff too because there's a lot more stuff to go through cool. uh, just uh-huh. on deep purple uh so the cover of the album if anyone hasn't seen it, it shows the band members' heads up on Mount Rushmore, and the, the album's called In Rock, so that's uh, kind of a neat cover, I thought. Finishing off Deep Purple here, a fun fact. After leaving Deep Purple, Richie Blackmore would go on to form the band Rainbow, who would have Ronnie James Dio on vocals. Then he Dio was in Rainbow, s- no kidding. Wow. Yeah, Ronnie James Dio sang Rainbow, and then Dio would sing on the two post-Aussie Sabbath albums, so Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules. Right. After which, Sabbath recorded the album Born Again with former Deep Purple vocalist Ian Gillen. So there's all these crazy tie-ins with these guys, right? Like and then Jimmy Page produced the album. No, but I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> it's no, just no. all these guys come circling back to each other. But I mean, they all came out of the same scene in England, so they all know each yeah. other. So it's not surprising, I guess, but it's pretty neat to see all these connections. Yeah, these totally. It's kind of like a like Soundgarden, all those guys coming out of Seattle. And yeah, yeah, the there's a lot of crossovers. Like they all knew, we, they yeah. all knew each other, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, so that's what that, that's it for the the band stuff we're gonna get into the workout playlist now okay yeah let's move into the workout playlist segment i ain't got time to bleed into the what's but a smile on that face i took the wrong week to quit drinking so the first song i'm gonna go with here we're just gonna go in the same order that i talked about the bands so starting with Led Zeppelin, cool. we're going to go, the, the first song I'm going to say is Babe, I'm Going to Leave You, which is the second song on Led Zeppelin 1. So that's the one that had that style I was talking about with the, the light and shade, where it builds up from right, plant yeah. crooning, plants kind of crooning softly, and then he builds in, pages playing acoustic, and then it builds into this uh, like a heavy riff and the drums and bass kick in, and then 
plant starts singing his high pitch and i just i just love the way it builds up it just gets like my adrenaline pumping like every that, time that, that song is is fucking fantastic that's one of my favorite led zeppelin songs it's, i guess we can be my favorite led zeppelin song can, <laughs> possibly we'll take a quick listen to that here i can hear it calling me the way it used to do yeah, like that at this time because I'm I'm uh, I'm obviously a, a metal guy, but like I'm more well versed in uh, in classic rock sides. I'm a because I'm a yeah. classic rock radio DJ, so that. Led Ze- anything Led Zeppelin is an A plus for me. Like, I love that song. Well, and I find this song, aside from the two shorter, faster songs in the album, "Good Times, Bad Times," and "Communication Breakdown," "Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You," it doesn't sound so bluesy. It sounds yeah, more along the lines of a, a hard rock metal song. It's so, shades of like their later stuff because, yeah. yeah, like you said, "Communication Breakdown," like it's hard, fast, and it's kind of done. And that song's "Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You" is six and a half minutes long, so it's yeah. You know, and, and, Really, aside from those three songs, so uh, Good Times, Bad Times, Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You, Communication Breakdown, those three songs to me are, are what inspired a lot of metal later on. Really, the rest of the album is pretty bluesy, and it's not yeah. bad. It's it's a good album, but it's it's more of a bluesy, heavy blues album than a, a hard rock metal album. But these three songs, you can definitely see the influence that they would have had later on. Yeah, yeah they get a little more like uh, prog rock later on as, a, yeah. as opposed to the hard and fast stuff so, some of their hits. yeah. So communication breakdown is the next song on my list. So it's uh, short and heavy. Starts out with heavy, memorable riff right out of the bat, right off the, the bat. There, Plant's vocals are just perfect complement to the music. Uh, and there's a page has a wicked solo halfway through that just goes into the chorus. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's just fast and for the time super heavy. And I just I just love the way it sounds. It's yeah, energizing no, it's, song. It's like, a, it's like yeah, like a classic guy, Led Zeppelin and tune. I, and that's one that's it's fairly short, so it's it's played in the radio quite a bit. I, Babe, I'm gonna leave you. I don't know if it ever gets played in the radio much, just because it's so it's fairly long. It's like yeah, personally, on on the on the station that I work at, we play it sometimes, but mm-hmm. uh, that that's the thing. Like you can only you can only fit in six and a half minute songs so many times a day. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, so we'll give that one a quick quick clip. So the third song on the list is Black Sabbath, the song Black Sabbath. So if you listen to the song, it starts out this ominous uh, kind of sound with the, the rain and the church bell. And then you get the low tones of the opening guitar riff. And really, a lot of people attribute Sabbath to pioneering uh, what's called doom metal. So this like slow, heavy style of metal. Right. And right away, it puts Sabbath in this class of their own because nobody else sounded like that at the time. And then you get Ozzy's really haunting voice coming out telling this sinister tale based on that Geezer Butler story. And then the song at the end, it kicks in, speeds up a bit at the end, and finishes with this Ozzy singing about Satan coming around the bend. And it sounds pretty damn evil for 1970. And then uh, Iommi builds into his solo at the end. 
this, this song I'm, I'm less familiar with, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this one a quick actual listen. Oh yeah, it's really slow and building. Yeah, that's another one they don't really play on the radio because it's like seven minutes long. So it's it's one of those songs that doesn't get played too often. It's just it's not it's not single length. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, I got you. But Ooh, it, cool. but it really it builds up for quite a while. But then at the end when it kicks in, it really gets you. Like I, I love the way it kicks in at the end. Wow. Well, it starts off with just like thunderstorm ambient noise. Yeah. Um, and then it gets going. That's really cool. So the fourth song is nib but on the album the, the track actually has four parts it's fairly long so it's it's pretty much four separate songs so the first one is wasp and then behind the wall of sleep and then basically which is just a bass solo pretty much and then nib <laughs> so basically oh it's a it's a pun <laughs> you can see it written out <laughs> yeah great yes <laughs> that's not obvious at all <laughs> but, but basic basically leads into nib pretty much so a lot of times you hear them together right Right. But I, I, in this case, I'm referring to NIB sim- simply as the isolated track. But if you listen to that song, it's um, that's when it, they really starting to sound. You can hear like the the metal, the, the heavy metal kind of the influence there. Where right. You can see where 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 like how they had such a such a big influence on metal later on with songs like this. So really catchy, like song riff, pretty memorable lyrics because it's talking about like seductive powers and tempting promises of like lucifer they mentioned lucifer in the song oh for 1970 that's that's pretty big yeah it was pretty groundbreaking and, and then iomi's guitar and ozzy's vocals just fit the dark subject matter perfectly and yeah. a couple of gr- good solos in there from iomi oh I'll, so. I'll give that one a quick listen That's sweet for for 1970. That's kind of insane, honestly. Like right right at the end with the riffs that he's playing. Like you could have released that probably like 10 years ago, and I would st- I would still accept it. Yeah, it, it, it's still uh, it, it's it's still a great song. Like, it, it's even even now it's still like it's just it, it's it's very. I don't even know if modern is the right word. It's it's just you can tell that. I think so it much is well. influenced by that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's aged very well. And there's actually there's a, a an album that came out quite a while back called Nativity in Black, and it was a bunch of Sabbath covers, and both right. those songs are covered on it. And that that's a, another album that we'll do a an episode on at some point. But there's some great covers of both those songs on there. Sure. So the fifth song. So I, I'm pretty much just doing two songs from each album. We cover three albums. So the fifth song, song called Speed King, it's the first song on In Rock. Uh, originally the song was titled kneel and pray uh they ended up changing the lyrics using the the music from that song and this one as soon as you start the song it's it's heavy and it's fast so you can you can really see where deep purple 
changed their sound and went heavy and, and how they influence heavy metal. Uh, Blackmore and Gillen kick off right at the start with fast, heavy guitar. Gillen's got a really powerful voice. And the, the keyboards kind of keep pace with the guitar throughout the song. The guitar solos, keyboard solo, I guess if you want to call it that. Uh, the keyboard, <laughs> thing, is, yeah, the keyboard yeah. thing is not really my cup of tea, but uh, mm-hmm. it, it, definitely, it does fit the music, you know, I, I, I guess at the time. Right, and, right. Uh, Gillen's vocals really drive the song. He's a really powerful singer. That's and Bla- Yeah, and Blackmore's guitar sort of takes it over later on. Uh, the song overall is really loud and fast, especially for that time period. Cool. All right, I'm, I'm going to give this a shot. I noticed the bass especially. Like, the bass is really driving and fast. Mm-hmm. You, you, know, you can always hear that, the keyboards, though. Yeah, no, I, I, I cut I cut to the middle, and there was, like, a heavy bass riff, and then all of a sudden the keyboard does, like, this big slide. And yeah. you're right. It's a, it's, a little, it's a little weird in places, but, like, it's, it still sounds good. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I just get used to it. When I listen to Deep Purple, I expect it, and, I, and it, doesn't, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it doesn't bother me. If you, if you know what to expect, and it... It's it's still great music, and, and even if you listen to Smoke in the Water and their later stuff, you can, the keyboard's there, right? Yeah, it's it's not bad by any means. It's just a little like, oh, oh okay. And it's it's different. The, the good thing about that I like about Sabbath and Zeppelin and, and Deep Purple is they all have their own distinct sound. They don't sound yeah. like each other, right? Their 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 vocalists all have their voices are different. Their guitar styles are different. They all they all have their own contributions to yeah. Yeah, it's funny, like that. All these these bands popping up at the same time and progressing in the same same direction. That's it's interesting. You can see the different takes they have on on that. Yeah, and, and, and like I was saying, how they're fairly commonly uh, referred to as the uh, unholy trinity of heavy metal by quite a few people. And it's it's an unofficial title, but it, you can you can see where it comes from because they all came out around the same time and they all had a lot of influence on. Yeah, like that's came within, later. That's within like a year, right? Yeah, so. and, and whether you're talking yeah. about you know, true heavy metal or just hard rock, these guys are all over the place. Their influences are, right? Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Was that, is that the last song? Uh, the last song, actually, is it's called Child in Time. So okay. it's a fairly long song. You'll probably never hear this on regular rock radio. Oh, yeah. Ten, eight eight ten plus and a minutes half long. Minutes. Oh, ten, ten, ten minutes long, yeah. <laughs> it's 10, 20. So it's, it's a super, <laughs> it's a long song, slow build up. Uh, the, the lyrics are fairly simple, but kind of provocative if you if you start thinking about them. And they mm-hmm. seem to be a lot of people uh, figure the lyrics are about war, generally. Okay. Uh, Ian Gillen's voice in this is just—it really shows his range and his ability because there's parts in the song where he just his voice just takes it over. It, it's incredible. Oh, you got to listen to the whole song, but I, I yeah. Um, while you while you were talking, I, I accidentally clicked in the middle of it, and it was him yeah. doing like it was almost operatic. Like, yeah. If that's oh, he's a got word, a, he's I'm a sure crazy voice, good. man. Yeah, and then about halfway through the song, Blackmore breaks into a pretty wicked solo, too. All right, let me check this out. I'm not even sure what to compare it to because uh, it just sounds like so many different bands. I've like I could say, I could say Tool, I could say Rush, I could say like a, like a dozen different bands. 
Uh, yeah, really except cool. those bands would sound like them because they were there first. That's what I mean. Like I like I can hear <laughs> yeah. I can hear the influence in it. Like yeah, for reverse. sure. I can hear the the reverse influence. Yeah. Whatever that is, you know what I mean. So so that was the last song. That is the last song. Yeah, I, I, I figured. <laughs> okay. I figured two songs from each album was a pretty good representation of of what yeah. we were getting at here. Cool. Uh, well, uh, that's the you said the unholy trinity. The unholy trinity of heavy metal. Wow. All right. Uh, Unofficial well, title. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't expect to. Deep Purple's a one band that I don't really know much about, so it's interesting for me to learn more about that. Um, yeah, I mean, for the layman, obviously Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin are very familiar names. Uh, yeah, for, yeah, for most obviously. people that listen to any rock music, and Deep Purple's a little not obscure, but a little bit less. A little uh, deeper common. in there. Yeah, yeah. They they don't have a, a ton of the big radio hits that you're going to hear all the time. But I mean, everybody knows "Smoke in the Water," right? So <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. What's the first song you learn on guitar? Yeah, yeah play exactly. guitar. Uh, cool. Well, if that is it, unless there's is there news? Yeah, we won't do any news today. Uh, like these, are, all three of these bands are going to have their own episodes anyway. Yeah, so we'll do we'll, yeah. we'll do news tailored to each band in their own episode. Cool. All right. Well, that is uh, that is going to do it for this episode of the Heavy. Uh, make sure to see the show notes for the list of all the songs that you heard in this episode. If you missed uh, me saying the title or if we just straight up forgot to say it, uh, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, tell a friend, leave us a star rating. Our show is edited by Ian Sutherland. Andrew does all the research. Our other brother, the fourth Sutherland, uh, Rob did our logo. Our theme song is Stallions of the Highway by Savage Blade. I'm your host, Don Sutherland. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you again in two weeks. Later.